0: Let's open a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll, get, we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here tonight as believers and gather around your word. And thank you for our own uh, personal copy of this. And we just pray that you would bless it, bless our time together. Um, and uh, we just thank you for each one that's come out. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Should have an outline there. Uh, we called this series Strong Faith, Perverted Justice. Strong faith, perverted justice. It kind of fits in with what's going on uh, all around us today. And uh, we already told you the word Habakkuk means, the Hebrew word means to embrace. To embrace. And Habakkuk was going through some issues. He was asking some questions. He was asking, why do the, the evil prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? Um, why do the righteous suffer? These are all questions that probably run through our, our heads as well. And uh, he also asked the question, why would a good God allow so much violence and so much evil in the world? He was asking this as a prophet of God. And uh, we saw that, you know, I think in our first study, it's not wrong to ask God questions. There's nothing wrong with that at all, as long as you come out with the same heart as Habakkuk after you ask the question. Uh, and his heart was, well, Lord, whatever you want, uh, I guess that's, that's okay. I'll trust you no matter what. And we all have questions, even Job, right? The most righteous guy who was, all these tribulations and trials fell on him. He concluded what? Though he slay me, right? Yet I will trust him. And so that should be the heart of every believer, everyone who trusts in the Lord, everyone who knows uh, the Lord personally. Uh, God, whatever you want in my life, that's what I want, and I accept it from your gracious hand, no matter even how painful it may be. Um, I know you're going to use it for your glory somehow, so I need to embrace it. And and that's really what uh, the Lord should be doing in each one of our hearts, whatever the Lord is doing, whatever his timing is whatever his planning is, uh, because we know who he is. We know his character. We know that he cares for us. We can trust him. Uh, he wants our good for his glory. He's not trying to punish us. He's not trying to um, uh, hold us down. He's, he's trying to mold us. He's trying to shape us. He's trying to mature us into uh, the blessed reflection of his son, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that when we see the power of the Holy Spirit working through us in our lives and people see that, that glory of Christ uh, likeness shine out and that makes an impact on the world around us. So it's, it's an interesting conversation that he has and this is what this book is. Remember, it's a conversation between him and God. He's not writing this book to anybody, he's just having a conversation with God and God said, hey, make sure you write this down. I'm going to use this. And so the first week, just way of review, we looked at the reaction of the prophet to the corruption of his time, and we saw that in verses 2 to 4 of of verse 1. And we saw how the prophet really cried out to God. What are you doing, God? Look around. All this stuff is happening. You have all this idolatry. You have all this uh, immorality. You have all these things going on. Um, And sometimes I wonder if, in our day today, we fail to be concerned as much as Habakkuk was concerned during his time. And sometimes we fail to pour out our hearts to God. Um, and maybe that's revealing we really don't care. <laughs> uh, let the world go down the tubes. Who cares? I'm a Christian. I'm out of here pretty soon. Doesn't matter. That not, should not be the heart of any godly man or godly woman. Uh, definitely wasn't the heart of the Lord Jesus when he cried over Jerusalem, right? He had compassion on them. Even Paul, the apostle, said that it was his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they would be saved. Remember when we were going through Romans, he said, even if I myself could be accursed and they be saved, I'd be willing to exchange that. That's impossible. But he was just throwing that argument out there. That's how much he cared for his kinsmen according to the flesh. And he talked about a great heaviness in his heart, a sorrow, a grief. And sometimes, you know, that's what we we need to think about. Um, We need to stop and and not just uh, cheer on the evil and say, yeah, I don't care what they deserve, our hearts should break for these people. They don't know the Lord. They're on their way to hell. Uh, We should be willing to to reach out and um, strive to share the gospel with them. And we saw the reaction here that he had, um, and it really sounded like we were reading our newspaper every day, right? I mean, that's what we see going on around is all this immorality, all these riots, all this craziness. Well, the second thing we looked at was the response of God to the prophet's reaction. God actually responded to him in verses 5 to 11 of chapter 1. He tells him that he's going to raise up, because the prophet goes to God and says, God, aren't you going to do anything? Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians. And they were a wicked, vile nation. They were very violent. They were probably the most violent nation in all of history and he says i'm going to bring them up and they're going to judge you (laughs) they're going to judge judah and so uh he he understands that this may not be pretty the prophet's kind of shaking his head going man are you really going to do this you're going to use these vile evil people to judge your people and god says yeah i have a purpose in it and everything that i plan and propose will be accomplished And then the third thing we saw was the recognition of the character and plan of God. That's in verses 12 to 17. Uh, So I was reading this week, I I thought it was interesting that a lot of the writers of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and when I say the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of them are prophetic books, they're actually books of the Bible that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and other ones are just secular books. There's, you know, random Jewish thing. Uh, There's one called Bell and the Dragon. Um, That's apocryphal literature. But the scholars tell us that the original Hebrew in the book of Habakkuk is probably some of the most majestic and um, beautiful language in all of the Bible. To someone who really knows Hebrew, they read this book and they're like, wow, this, this language is just incredible. And it was thought very highly of, of the Jews back in the time of Habakkuk. So much so that this one literature called Bell and the Dragon, it was written about 100 years before Jesus came to earth. It says that Habakkuk, in, the, in, this, in this literature of Bell and the Dragon, has a story of, of Habakkuk. And it says that Habakkuk was, ta- Habakkuk was taken to Babylon by an angel to feed Daniel when he was in the den of lions. Now, that's not true, right? It's just a fairy tale. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that this book meant a lot to the people of Habakkuk's time. They just didn't, oh, crazy prophet, you know, they really respected the book itself, um, and so we need to understand the historical situation in which Habakkuk was living so we can understand better what he's writing about. Now, as a young man, Habakkuk, the, the prophet, he had witnessed um, this wonderful revival for the nation of Israel. And it was under the king Josiah. He was a wonderful king. He was a good king for Israel. And uh, uh, it, was, it was an incredible. It was, it was probably one of the greatest revivals in all of Jewish history. And it happened under this King Josiah. And all the people, they turned back to the Lord, at least outwardly, because <laughs> uh, they did fall back into sin, but they outwardly they turned back to the Lord. and other words, they got rid of all their, their prostitutes, were gone, uh, all the idols were smashed. It was an incredible uh, revival that they had. And this prophet, Habakkuk, as a young man, saw that. He witnessed it right before his own eyes. But then he also saw, <laughs> under the wicked King Jehoiakim, who was Josiah's son, he saw the nation of Israel turn back to all that. They went back to all their idolatry, all their immorality, everything. And it, it, it wasn't under some, somebody other than this good king's son. And it probably caught a lot of people off guard. But things got really bad. And so can you imagine witnessing, and we've kind of been able to witness that in our own country, Right? We look back, probably even the time you've been alive, you look back at certain leaders in our country, and boy, they, they kind of raise the morality issue a little bit, and you know, people are a little more conscious toward things, and, and then other leaders tend to tear it down. That's just what happens. Okay, Well, he saw it really quickly in his own lifetime, and so he watched this whole thing happen. He was an eyewitness to it. So that's why he had such a uh, kind of a turmoil going inside. He was saying, man, God, we had it so good, and now look at it. Everything's falling apart. Aren't you going to do something? And so it brings us to the fourth point that we're going to get into today in the first four verses of chapter 2. And the point is this. It speaks of the reluctance, the reluctance of the prophet to speak. That's what a prophet does, right? We, we talk about that on Sundays in 1 Corinthians. What does a prophet do? He stands before people and he what? He speaks the word of God. Well, there was some reluctance on Habakkuk's part because he didn't know what to say. He didn't feel comfortable just getting up from a bunch of people because he was a prophet and just start making stuff up. All right? He was reluctant to, to speak until he heard from the Lord. And a lot of us, um, you know, I can be a real motor mouth sometimes, you know, just talk, 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 talk. And, you know, it just depends on kind of what mood I'm in. You know, you just dominate a conversation and then you walk away going, man, that is kind of weird. I just didn't shut up. I didn't give the person another time to talk. You know? Um, and, and sometimes, to be honest with you, I'll speak and I don't think just ask my wife. You know, I say some things that are really stupid sometimes. And we all need to stop and think before we speak. You know, we try to justify it and and that kind of thing, but it's just not good. It's not a good practice to have. We need to be reluctant, especially as someone who's speaking for the Lord or as a Christian. If you're teaching other people or something like that, you should be reluctant to speak until you know what God has you to say or what God has to say on the subject. And so let's look at our text and we'll read it here. And then just have a, a short word of prayer and then we'll, we'll continue. Habakkuk chapter two, verses one to four. He says, I will take my stand at, the, at my watch post and stay myself on, and, and my station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. That's speaking of the, the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. They're prideful. His soul is puffed up. It is not right, upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. It's a phrase we're all too common with. Let's pray, and then we'll continue. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you. We pray tonight that you'll show us how contemporary the message of Habakkuk is to our time. And show us that um, we need to understand even our own wickedness here in this, this country. Um, and it's so, so much similar to what was going on in Israel years ago. And Lord, help us to see that judgment is deserved. Um, And it's only because of your long suffering, your mercy, that it's not brought upon us quicker. And so we thank you for what you're going to do. And and we pray as believers, because it says that judgment begins with the house of God, that we would even confess our own sin and repent of our own self-sufficiency and sinfulness and uh, selfishness, and that we would humble ourselves before God, who does all things good and right. And and we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the prophet here was reluctant to speak as the, as our verses show us until he heard from the Lord. And, um, I think today we have churches all over our country, to be honest with you, filled with people who are not reluctant to speak. (laughs) They're saying all kinds of things. Um, they're speaking a lot, but they're not speaking because they heard from the Lord. They're just speaking. They're usually using verses that will support what they've already previously said. That's not what a prophet does. That's not, in our, in our modern day time, that's not what a pastor should do. That's why we believe in teaching the Word of God. So you can see that something is really wrong here, um, even in the churches around in our area. You know, they don't give preference to the Word of God. They fill their time with other things. So here, Habakkuk was reluctant to say anything until he heard from the Lord. And you see here, first of all, in verse 1, the patience he displays, it reveals his character and confidence in God. Look at what he says in verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. Um, and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Um, he talks about this taking his stand. All right, It indicates he's, he's willing to wait. Um, do we have that kind of attitude of waiting on the Lord um, in our in our modern day culture? Do we really want to think godly thoughts before we make decisions? Or do we just want a um, quick answer? You know, a lot of people will come up as, "Hey, I got this problem." You know, here's the problem. What's the answer? <laughs> you know, you got a verse for that or something? They're not willing to do it themselves, right? They're not willing to look it up. I got this problem. What does the Bible say about? It? I, don't, I don't need the, even the context. Just tell me what to go do. They don't want to know. And as Christians, we should be like the Burians of Acts. We should be willing to dig in and, and, and make sure that these things are true, that people are telling us. Even 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, what? Do your best to present yourself to God who is one who is approved, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And that takes what? It takes patience. You don't get there overnight. And so you see this symbolism here that he's using, watchmen on the wall. What is that? What is a watchman on the wall? Well, back then, believe it or not, they had walls around all their cities. Walls are good things. There's nothing wrong with a wall. Okay? The president says walls and wheels, right? That's, that's the important thing. But it's important to understand that the symbolism that, that Habakkuk is, that the Lord is using here through the prophet Habakkuk, um, it's used of the prophet to whom the word of God was revealed to. Um, they had these walls around their cities, but they'd also have towers, all right? And in those towers, they were called watchtowers, uh, Word is migda in the Hebrew. And at these watchtowers, you would have soldiers, people, men, who were assigned 24 hours a day. They had somebody in this tower. And usually they'd work in four, four to eight-hour shifts, and they'd be up there, and their job, basically, was to continually watch on the horizon for any... Attackers, anybody that might harm their city. So they could give early warning to everybody inside. To get ready, hey, we got a a group of rowdies coming. You know, get ready. Um, And so God uses this watchtower image for prophets who are from God. They're continually watching. It's a continuous thing. And, you know, if you've ever been on a watch, I used to work as a security guard, and I just went nuts at night walking around JFK Hospital in Indio, you know, because... It was, wasn't a lot of stuff going on, usually. <laughs> it was kind of boring. And I would just make up games to keep me active. You know, like I'd, I'd start at the front doors, and I'd close my eyes and see if I could make it all the way back to the nursery section with my eyes closed. <laughs> it's was stupid stuff, right, as a security guard. But, I, you know, I was losing my mind. There's nothing to do. Everybody else had their bookwork or whatever. But I remember the patience that it took to just sit there sometimes, at the door and wait for somebody to come through. It just wears you out, you know, and, that, and that's what we need before the Lord. It, this is spoken of, this, this idea of a watchtower, somebody being on watch. It's spoken of um, in Isaiah chapter 21, verses 11 to 12. It says, the oracle concerning Duma, one is calling to me from Seir, which is Seir's a city down near Petra, all right? It says this, watchmen What time of the night? Watchman, what time of the night? He's asking the question. And the watchman says, verse 12, morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire and come back. And so it talks here that this this message or this oracle, the word Messiah, it's used like 57 times. And it just says of this message that the prophet would have. And these prophets are are um, being watchmen for the nation of Israel. They're the ones that are to let everybody know if there's any problem. It's also spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 3. And this is a little longer text, but I want to read it for us because it gives us a picture of the responsibility that a watchman would have as he stood up there on the tower. It says in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16, it says, And at the end of seven days the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But guess what? His blood I will require at your hand. Why? Because you're a watchman. There's a responsibility there. And then he says in verse 19, But if you warn the wicked, you do your job... And he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way. Guess what? He's still going to die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So in other words, you did your job. They didn't listen. No problem. You're not held responsible. Verse 20. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sins and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Once again, even if it's somebody who's righteous and they they sin and you see it and you don't say something, you just look the other way and say, ah, it's their own problem. Well, you're going to be held responsible because you're a watchman. Verse 21, but if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. So it's an incredible responsibility. And even in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 to 7, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land, judgment in other words, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, the sword... And the sword comes and takes him away. His blood shall be upon his own head. In other words, if you, if you capture somebody and you make them a watchman in your own camp, they yeah, I'll go be a watchman. And they're up in the tower and they see the enemy coming, somebody they used to work for, right? And they, don't, and they sound the trumpet, but everybody goes, Ah, we're not going to believe him. You know, he was part of that gang. Guess what? If they get knocked off, if they get killed, the watchman is not responsible because they didn't heed the warning. It's not going to be on his head. And then it says in verse 5, it says, He heard the sound of the trumpet, and he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But, he had, but if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But, verse 6 says, But if the watchman sees the sword coming hey, here, my buddies are coming back, does not blow the trumpet, Ah, I'm not going to really warn them this time, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Big responsibility. So he goes back to Ezekiel, he says, so you son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. That's the 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 role the point here of this Watchman illustration is that of warning. It's, it's to, to give people a heads up. There's something wrong. And really, that's the main ministry of prophets of God. Back then and even today. I think one of the roles that a, a Bible teacher, a pastor teacher, a prophet, a preacher has is to warn who? God's people. It's very clear. When Paul called the elders of the church of Ephesus to the island of Miletus, he called them together and he gave them instructions. And here's what he said to them. He said, you know what? Grievous wolves are coming. (laughs) They're coming from outside into your camp. And they're not going to spare the flock. It's up to you as a watchman, as a pastor, as an elder, as a prophet to protect them. You need to warn them about these kind of people. And if you've been in church long enough, you know what he's talking about. We have people all the time coming in, even to our little church. And sometimes they come up with some weird stuff. Maybe just innocent, bad teaching they've had before or whatever. But you know what? Some people are willing to be kind of instructed in in the correct path. And other people realize, okay, this isn't a church we can come in and plant our little seeds of doubt in the people and get a a group following us and kind of create a division. It's not going to happen. So we also need to warn them from the people outside, but we can also, you need to warn them from people that can arise, Paul tells them, from within. Sometimes there's people within the church who seek to draw away disciples that happened in, even in the Corinthian church, right? Remember, he said, "Oh, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Jesus. You know, they're all following somebody. That's not what church is to be about. Uh, and it's not an easy role of a shepherd to warn and continually protect his sheep. But it's very, very important. And so here we're learning how you warn them. <laughs> this is what God is showing us. How do you warn them? Well, you don't warn them by standing up and giving your own opinions on what you think is going on. That's not going to warn anybody. You would never do that as a prophet. Remember, a prophet is not someone who comes up with their own story, their own message. Where does a prophet's message come from? God. Today we would say a prophet's message comes from the Word of God. All right? Um, A lot of people talk about prophecy. Middle East stuff, right? You hear it all the time on the news. And you have people popping off on all kinds of stuff that they have no idea what they're talking about because they haven't heard from the Lord. They they don't even know what the Bible says about it. They're just looking at it from a secular viewpoint and they're saying all this stuff. And you know they're creating all these these warnings. Oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. How do you know? And they're they're what you would call you know unfaithful watchmen on the wall. They don't have any any. Uh, Business being up there because they're not hearing anything from God. And so the main point here of this illustration is one of warning. Now go back to Habakkuk if you're not there. And so you see the the patience that he reveals in his character. But secondly, we see the plainness of the vision that Habakkuk gives, is given, uh, the Lord gives them. In verses 2 and 3, look at what it says And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain. Guess what that word means? Simple, easy to understand. You know, I always say put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can understand. You don't need to use big old words that nobody can understand, and then you spend another five minutes explaining what the word means. Who are you trying to impress? So he says, Write the vision down, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. In other words, if you're gonna warn somebody. You know, you don't want to run into a, a burning building and go to somebody and go, hey, you know, uh, b- because we have all this chemical reaction happening here and, and there's actually combustion going on and, you know, there's toxic fumes being th- it, it might be a good idea that we uh, extricate and, and leave this, this, this hallway and make our way. You wouldn't do that. What would you do? Run! Fire! Right? I mean, you would make it simple. You would make it easy to understand. That's, that's what he's saying here. Um, and I don't believe that, that God has revealed his prophetic plan to just a select few preachers in America that maybe we see on TV. And so if we pay him enough money for their commentaries, we'll understand the prophetic. You know, it's like God only spoke to them. I don't think that's true. That's not what God uh, does. God's word is for what? For everybody. I don't have a corner on the truth. I mean, you have access to the same stuff I do. I mean, you can put in the time and effort and, 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 and study God's Word just like anybody. And so we need to be reminded of that. As a matter of fact, God put the Bible in such simple language that pretty much even a child can understand. Now, there are lots of things that we don't understand in God's Word, correct? I mean, there's a lot of things. But God wants us to know the overall message. He's made it very clear. And, and when people read the Bible... Sometimes for the first time, they, they walk away and they go, I am amazed at how many details just about everyday life are in the scriptures. I mean, it talks about employer-employee relations. It talks about mother and, and, and father and their children. It talks about the church. It talks about, it talks about everything. It talks about government authorities. And it does so in detail. God wants us to know. Uh, that's why the details are often presented to us in Scripture. And so he says here in verses 2 and 3, I want you to write the vision and make it plain upon tablets. So well, look at the first thing here, three things. The writing of the vision. It was for all to understand. He says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. When you look at that writing of the vision, the actual writing was what he was told by God. Remember, this is a conversation between who? Habakkuk and God. That's, that's who's having this conversation. It's such a contrast, I think, to what we see today. You know, we see people who are out there saying they're preachers or they're prophets. And they're telling you all these things that God is showing them next year, this is, or I prophesied this, or I prophesied that. And it's funny, because a lot of times, they don't write these things down. If you ever notice, they won't write them down. And the reason they don't write them down, because generally, they're wrong. And they don't want you to have the ability to go back and say, well, wait a minute, you know. Now, there are some people that are, you know, a little slow upstairs, and they put everything they, they think in a book, Right. So they publish their little book and all that, and it ends up not being good. Um, that's a characteristic of a false prophet, someone who wants no accountability, someone who's not willing to write down what they're saying that the Lord is going to tell them what is going to happen or whatever. Um, here he says, no, I want you to make this vision very clear for everybody to be able to read and to understand. That's what verse 2 says. Um, I have a friend at the coffee shop and we talk once in a while and he asked me, I think it was like two weeks ago, hey, what are you guys studying now? You know, and uh, Joe's his name. He, I've talked to him about him before. And he said, I said, uh, I use the Hebrew name. We're using, a, we're, we're studying Kabakabuk. He's like, what? I go, the book of Kabakabuk. And he's like, what is that? So I, I go, well, it's the book of Habakkuk, but I'm just having fun. with. Oh, oh like, I don't know where that's at. So I was telling him, because I've never heard of anybody talk in the book of Habakkuk. I go, well, it's a really short book. So if you want to hear something, you better hurry up and get out on Wednesday night because it's going to be over quick. But what's, what's, what's interesting in that is that, you know, this message that Habakkuk was giving was a vision that he had from God. The word vision there, chasm in the Hebrew, it literally means what that which is seen. So this isn't something he ate a bad pizza and he had a dream. Oh, I had this vision. No, this is something that came directly from the Lord. And so God wants us to understand things that are going to happen. And then he says, make it plain, but put them on tablets. Uh, Some say clay tablets. I don't know what translation you have. I think the King James says tables, which I don't know why it says that. But tablets is the idea. He wants these things written down. He's telling Habakkuk, get out your notepad, write this stuff down. I I want this stuff to be around for a long time. So you've got to record it. And it shows us clearly that God's revelation was to be preserved, that it was to be written down, as well as proclaimed. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God gives us a written copy of his word. Can you imagine if this was just all folklore passed down and all we had was verbiage from people? Well, I think in Philippians it said this, you know. Oh well, no, I think it said that. I mean, you would have no no way to go and confirm what anybody's saying. God is so gracious to us, he gave us our own copy of the Word of God. And he wants it to be preserved, written, as well as proclaimed. And what's interesting, when you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and the writers I was talking about, they write about all these different things. It's interesting that all of the Hebrew prophets, all of them, are Somewhere in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they have copies of them. There's only one book of the Old Testament that's missing. Do you know what it is? Esther. Esther. And why is it missing? Well, maybe they didn't find it yet, right? They're always doing digs over there and everything. But every time they quote from these, when these writers quote from the Hebrew prophets, when they're writing in the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they quote from the Hebrew prophets, they always use the same phrase to introduce whatever the prophet said. And it's this simple phrase, as it is written. Now, remember, I said in the Dead Sea Scrolls, you can find all kinds of secular literature, too. The, the Qumran community wrote a whole bunch of different stuff. They have a manual of discipline that talks about all kinds of stuff that they do in their houses and everything. Just bizarre things, right? has nothing to do with the Bible, but it's interesting because when they introduce those writings, guess what they don't say? They don't say, as it is written. Why? Because they realize it's not from God. It's just stuff that people made up. It may be helpful. It's kind of like saying, well, I read the Almer's, Farmer's Almanac. you know. So if somebody reads the Farmer's Almanac, you're not going to say, as it is written, the Farmer's Almanac. No, because the Farmer's Almanac is not always right. Um, so as it is written, it was always referring to a passage from God's word. And so, he says, this plane, this vision, make it plain, write it down. And the second point there, writing of the vision was for all to read and understand. Okay, he wanted everybody to understand. And then the other thing here, the working out of the vision. The working out of the vision. It was under the Lord's time, not ours. Habakkuk had a vision, and God said, certain things are going to happen. And he says there in verse 3, he says, For still the vision awaits. In other words, it's not complete yet. It hasn't happened yet. It awaits its what? Appointed, it says, time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. What's this telling us about Bible prophecy? It's telling us, guess what? We don't make up the rules. You know, I know a lot of people that teach a lot of things, Thus saith the Lord, and they got every I dotted and every T crossed, but when you start to look at some of the support and the verses they use, they're pulling things out of context. It's like, wow, there's gaping holes in this theory. You know, To be honest with you, there's some things we're not going to understand. We're not going to get it. Um, and you have all these people out there in the world that are coming up for dates and all, all kinds of things. The Lord's going to come back on this. You know, Back in, I think it was 1988, somebody wrote a book. 88 reasons why the Lord's coming back. <laughs> you know, on Rosh Hashanah. In 1988, and he sold three and a half million copies of his book. And then he realized, well, wait, I was a year off because the Lord didn't come back. So guess what he did? Wrote another book. Coming back in 1989, he sold another 350,000 copies of his book. Bought by Christians. I mean, we got so many Christians that are, um, unfortunately, um, immature when it comes to things like that, you know they're willing to grab a hold of whatever the next best thing is. You remember Harold Camping from Family Radio, right? Well, his date was 1994, and I mean he almost lost his entire I mean he's not with us anymore, but he almost lost his entire uh, radio network, and he would he double down. He'd write another one. It's just it was bizarre. Well, the Bible says very clearly. That this is going to happen, what, in an hour you think not. We don't know. I mean, the Lord could come back right now, amen? Or he can come back 100 years from now. We don't know. So it says here, it refers to the end in the text. Uh, It hastens to the end. One thing I can tell you is the end means the end. That's what it means. Okay, I don't know when it's going to happen, but that's what it means. Some people say, well, that refers to 586 when the Babylonians attacked and destroyed the temple in the city. Could be. We don't know. Some other people say, well, no, it refers to 539 B.C. when the Babylonians were defeated by the Medes and the Persians because they did what God told them to do and invaded Judah and took over Judah. Uh, So they got judged. Could be. Some people say it refers to the final end of all human history. I tend to kind of favor that one, but you don't know. You just don't know. Uh, Daniel chapter 11, verse 35 speaks of an appointed time. God has a time appointed." In Daniel 11:40, it says, "The time of the end." It's also used in Daniel 12:9, and it clearly refers to something prophetic. The future, the end is going to happen. Uh, Daniel 12, 13 also mentions the end of days. And, you know, you can take courage in the idea that, you know what, God has a purpose and a plan. He's not going about this willy-nilly. He's not up there saying, well, let's see, do I pull, a, pull the plug today or should I wait a week? You know, no, he's got a plan, and it will be accomplished. I mean, that should allow us to sleep at night. Um. As a matter of fact, he even knows the day you're going to die. It's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. So, I mean, we just need to relax a little bit. You know, we're all trying to prolong our life. And, make, and then other people, oh, I wish I would go home today. You know, you'll go home when the Lord wants to take you home, if you know him. And not a day, not a second, not a millisecond earlier. You know, it may happen in an accident. It may happen just sleep. It may happen. Who knows how it's going to happen? But the Lord does. And he's going to allow that time to happen. So you see, the writing of the vision was for all to easy read and understand. The working out of the vision was under the timing of the Lord, not ours. And then thirdly here, the waiting for the vision. (laughs) It did not mean that God's plan would not happen. Um, Sometimes... And it says there in verse 3, if it seems slow, in other words, the carrying out of this vision, if it seems slow, Habakkuk, wait for it, is what he says. It will surely come. It will not delay. Why? Not by our timetable, but by God's timetable. God is not going to change this. And that's where I think, personally, I lose patience. You probably lose patience with it, too. And we're right back to the same, the same subject, right? Patience. Patience. Um, We need to embrace the idea that God has a plan. And just because God's plan is continuing beyond we think what it should, okay, um, somehow that means that God's plan isn't going to happen. And that's sometimes how we pray, isn't it? When we go to God in prayer and we're praying for something fervently and we're thinking, why isn't God answering our prayer? Guess what? It's not his time to answer your prayer. Maybe it's not his will that he answers your prayer at all. Okay, And we need to be okay with that. And the Bible says it's going to be, in the end times, it's going to be a very, very serious time on planet Earth. There's going to be false teachers all over the place. There's going to be mockers. And the, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says this, knowing this first of all, he says, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. And guess what these scoffers are going to say? Here's what they're going to say. Where is the promise of his coming? They're going to say, oh, yeah, 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 don't give me this Jesus stuff. You've been saying he's coming back for how long? What has it been, 2,500 years, whatever. Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You say, well, that's not correct. Did things just continue as normal from the beginning of creation? believe there was a little flood that happened, (laughs) right? And and God had to kind of start all over, um, interrupted human history a little bit. Well, guess what? He's going to do the same thing, not with a flood. What does the Bible say? With fire, right? One day that's going to happen. And so we have this interesting problem, and we have to be careful because here's this prophet who saw his country go from this revival thing to being judged by God. And um, here's this message that the prophet gets from God. And he's probably thinking, you know what, this is going to happen. I mean, it was probably urgency on his heart. This this may happen right now. You know, I mean, if God gave you something like that, you would probably have a burden on your heart to go out and warn people. Um, But see, it's a warning for all of us, really, if you think of it this way. Just because the things are not turning out like the way we thought they would, whatever. It doesn't matter whether it's an election. It doesn't matter whether it's the end of the world. It doesn't matter. Just because they're not turning out the way we thought they would, would it doesn't mean that God doesn't know exactly what's going on and his purpose is not being carried out. Um, I remember... When I went to uh, Bible college, that a lot of stuff I was taught in the prophecy classes was that russia's mentioned it's mentioned in ezekiel 38 uh, verse 39 where it uses the word "Rosh" in the Hebrew, and they said it sounds like Russia, so there must be Russia you know and so they just drew this conclusion. There's a lot of people that still teach this, by the way, okay uh, it, I mean, when you understand the Hebrew and you talk to some Jewish people that really understand the Hebrew, they, they just say, that's nonsense. That's like just ridiculous theology. Um, but irrelevant. I, re, I, re, I remember when, in 1990, you know, when kind of they were having major issues, remember, in the, in the, in the Soviet Union and all that stuff was going on. and A lot of people, theologically, they looked at that and they didn't know what to do because they built Russia up into the superpower and all of a sudden, well, the bottom's falling out of Russia and, you know, the wall, whatever, that that went down under Reagan. So, it looks like, wow, they're kind of losing their traction as a superpower and it wasn't lining up with their theology. And so, there was a lot of people that changed their theology. But now, you look at it today, guess what? (laughs) They're right back to the same place they were before, right? They're turning back into what they were before. They're not interested in being a, a democratic uh, society like the United States at all. They become a military state and they're interested in in dominating and influencing the entire world. And so your theology can change just by stuff like that if you look at it incorrectly. Um, So that's the point of this waiting for the vision. This is what Habakkuk, Habakkuk is trying to communicate to us. Just because you're waiting for the vision, it doesn't mean that God's plan will not be carried out. Just as he said. As a matter of fact, he even repeats it here. He says, it will not delay. It will not delay. It's going to come for sure, but you're going to have to wait for it. How many of you like to wait? <laughs> Nobody? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I hate waiting. I mean, I love when, you know, if you go to the supermarket and you have somebody with you. And, you know, there's lines, but maybe some are short... You know, and you're kind of gauging, well, which one should I get in? But if you have somebody with you, what do you do? You know, you go clean that line, right? And whoever gets first, then I'll come join you. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're only talking minutes, maybe. You know, it's not a long time. Or we go through a drive through You know, we're ordering a meal. And we're just so impatient. I mean, you couldn't cook a meal that quick at home. But I mean, if it's, you know, a couple extra seconds, we're irritated, you know. Um, we don't like to wait. I mean, who likes to wait for anything? Gabby and I, we, we went down to uh, downtown the other the day, and I thought, well, I'll go wash the car. So I was washing the car, and as I'm washing the car downtown on, on Broadway, I looked at my tire, and it's almost flat. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord, American Tire's right there, and that's where I bought them, so they'll fix it for free. So I got in the car, I go, we got to go across the street. So I go over there, and we pull in, and you know, they do the whole little COVID thing, so we're waiting in the car. And the guy comes out and he goes, oh, what's the problem? I said, well, I got a flat tire, I think, and, and uh, bought, the t- bought the tires here, and I know you guys fix it for free, so you know, I just want to get fixed. And uh, I go, or you can just put some air in it for me. You know, and he goes, well, that's not going to do any good. You know, he went over and looked at it. He goes, no, that tire's flat. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, well, okay, yeah, just you know, if you guys can you know, let me know when it's ready or when you're, you'll be ready. And he goes, okay, he goes, well, hold on, I'll send somebody else. So the guy comes out and takes all the mileage, all that stuff. He looks at it again. He goes, okay. Um, so you want to do that today? I go, well, I'm not going anywhere, <laughs> clearly, you know. So, and it's hot. So we're running the air conditioner, the car's running. And we're sitting there and the guy goes, okay, well, it might be a little bit. Um, I said, well, how long are you talking? He goes, well, um, you know, uh, we, we got appointments. So there's people ahead of you. I'm like, okay, you're not even giving me a number. You know, and it was like, what, I think it was like 4.30 or something like that. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking the debate starts at six, come on. And then the guy goes, I go, well, can I leave and come back? You know, like, can someone come get me and you know, I'll just leave the car here? Well, you got to be back by 6. We close at 6. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's not that bad. It's like an hour, hour and a half away, whatever. By the time I drive home, by the time I drive back, it's, you know, whatever. I'll just stay here. So we waited and we're waiting and we're waiting. You know, nobody likes to wait. We waited an hour and a half. We did get home for the debate, but barely. So, and, and the point here is that, you know what? Um, James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 puts waiting in the context of the prophetic future that God promises to do. Uh, In James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, he's talking to believers, until what? The coming of the Lord. Be patient. Be willing to wait. And he gives an illustration, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Being patient about it. You know, farmers are very patient people. I worked on my brother's farm for, like, not even a week. One, one summer, I couldn't handle it. It was too hard work. And, uh, but I remember him, you know, plan stuff. I was like, when, when do you get to see this stuff? Oh, it's not until the fall. You know, it's like three months. I'm like, what? Really? I mean, so much could go wrong between I went, like, instant food, you know, and it's not going to happen. So he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. So that's the, the time frame he's spanning it out for us. Verse 8, you also be patient. And then he says this, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord, what, is at hand. See, it's, it's doubling down on what we just shared, that you know what, just because God's time frame doesn't meet ours, don't be complacent about it. Don't think, oh, he's not going to come in my lifetime. He could come right now. He could come tomorrow, or he could come 100 years from now. We don't know. But there's a lot of promises in Scripture. For those that are willing to wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31. You know this verse. For they that wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Shall mount up like uh, wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or Psalm twenty-seven fourteen: Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall what? Inherit the land. See, we need to be careful when we're talking about Bible prophecy. We need to be patient, but we also need to be trustful that God will carry out what he says. So under this, we see the patience, we see the plainness, and the last thing here, the principle that is revealed. And it's crucial to understand the delays in God's plan. You know, sometimes we ask, well, why does God delay things? And that's what he says there in verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up or prideful, talking about the Babylonians. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Uh, that phrase, "the righteous shall live by his faith," is quoted like three times in the New Testament, um, and we we're going to look at those. But this that verse, "the righteous shall live by faith," remember when we went through Romans? I mean, it's really the the it, it, it sets the theme for the whole book of Romans. That phrase, the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, And that's really the the Magna Carta of Christianity, if you think about it. And and what's what's the question here? The question is, how can an ungodly, wicked man, someone who's ungodly and wicked, how can they be righteous before a holy God? That's what the book of Romans addresses. And the answer is that the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. The word righteous and the word faith are most frequently mentioned in the book of Romans. And it's not even comparison to any other book. They're they're just in that book. And when you reread that in the book of Romans, have you ever thought, I wonder where that came from? It must have something Paul thought up. No, it came from the book of Habakkuk. That's where it came from. You can go back and you look and we read the context of this. See, it's a principle for all believers that it's, it's crucial to understand why is God delaying. And rather than complain about it, we need to embrace it. And we need to say, you know what? I, I'm in, I'm in your, your time frame, God. It's your timing. It's not mine. So when it happens, it happens. I don't really care. I mean, if you take that kind of mentality, that attitude, and you say, you know what? I'm just going to wait on the Lord, and I want to be of good courage while I do it. I know, God, that you're going to do the right thing at the right time, in the right way. And you know what? I'm just going to praise you for that, whatever it is in my life. And that's so important to have that kind of an attitude because you never know when a curve is going to come into your life. You never know. Um, So two things here, quickly, and then we'll close. First of all, you see the arrogance of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. Behold, his soul is puffed up. And um, I mean, they were very prideful people because they were very powerful people. They were very evil people. And they just... They l- licked their chops when God said, hey, you're going to go uh, invade Judah. And, and he raised them up to do just that, even though they were an evil nation, to teach Judah a lesson, to discipline them. But what, what this is telling us is, you know what? God's saying, I know they're prideful. I know their hearts are not upright. I know that. And guess what? I know I'm raising them up <clears throat> to judge Judah. Judah. And I know how wicked and how vile they are. And guess what? Don't worry about it. <laughs> They'll get theirs. Don't worry about it, Habakkuk. You just do what I tell you to do. Um, God is going to joy, judge them, so don't worry about that. And then the second thing is we see the application of the righteous. But the righteous shall live by his faith. That's only, that, that phrase is only three words in the Hebrew language. Um, and it becomes the whole theme of the book of Romans, right? Romans chapter one, for I'm ashamed not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the, the Greek. And then it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, What? The righteous shall live by faith. Um, in the Jewish literature of the Talmud, which are basically, the Talmud is kind of Jewish commentaries on the Bible. Um, They sum this phrase up, the just shall live by faith, this way. They say it summarizes all 613 commandments that God gave to Moses. It's all summarized in that one phrase, the just shall live by faith. That's what they said in the Talmud. What do they say today, if you're in Judaism? They don't say that. They say, no, um, it's by sedek or by righteous acts. That's how we get the righteousness of God. That's why Paul wrote Titus 3, 5, right? He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The just still live by faith. They live by faith in the Old Testament. That was required. Guess what? God doesn't change. We live by faith in the New Testament as well. So this principle is laid out for us in understanding why God is delaying his plan. I think maybe it's to teach us faith in him who's done all things well. We need to be patient. We have to have faith in him. I think it's also to teach us faith in him who will fulfill everything he has ever said in all of time, that he wants to be fulfilled. There's nothing that God has ever prophesied or ever said, I'm going to do this, that's not going to be done one day. And, by the way, that's, that's important, because sometimes we think that somehow we can manipulate God. I've heard sermons on, you know, the day of Pentecost. Remember when the Holy Spirit came? I've heard pastors actually say this. Well, the reason the Holy Spirit came was because you had those 120 people who were up there praying so fervently, And they were praying for a miracle, and so God had to send the Holy Spirit. So that's what you need to do. You need to pray for the Holy Spirit. That's a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Holy Spirit came exactly when God wanted Him to come. Not because they were praying, but He came to fulfill Bible prophecy. It was the promise of the Father, Jesus said. He said that after 40 days, He appeared to them. He said, it's going to be not many days from now, 10 days is the idea, that he would fulfill what the Jewish festival of Pentecost, Shavuot, was teaching, and the Holy Spirit was going to come on that day. And on that day, he was going to take the Jew and the Gentile, and he was going to join them together in one body of Christ. That's the miracle. It's going to happen. But he said, he even told them, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to what? Terry, remember? He said, Terry, wait wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. It happens in God's time. That's the message throughout the entire Bible. God has a purpose in the delay. Maybe it's to fulfill a Bible prophecy. Maybe it's so somebody that you love, that you've been praying for, that isn't a Christian, can get saved. <laughs> Do you ever think of that one? You know, here we are, whining, the rapture's not coming. the well, Lord, just take us home. What if somebody's the elect and they're not saved yet guess what we're not going anywhere because god will save all those that he is elected to save and when that when that is complete that's when he will return when will that be we don't know i mean and and that's the dilemma right i mean you you want the lord to come back i'm sure you do i do i would want to go be with the lord But you know what? That's not God's timing. We have to wait on God's timing. Um, You have that dilemma going on. I I had to chuckle, because one teacher I was reading used this as an illustration. He said, it's kind of like watching your mother-in-law drive your Cadillac over the cliff. (laughs) I thought, wow, that's kind of a a weird illustration. You know, obviously, you don't get along with your mother-in-law, that would be a blessing, even though you lose your Cadillac. But You know the idea is is that you see that same dilemma in the Bible. That's what Paul did. I mean, he had a dilemma. He he was saying, you know what? I want to go be with the Lord, but I, I better stay here. Philippians chapter one, verses twenty one. He says, "For me to live is Christ; to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I don't know." He was confused. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. That means it's a difficult decision. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ because that is far better. That's what he says. I mean, do you understand that? It would be far better to depart and be with Christ. I don't think we understand that. You know, and sometimes we ask this question to each other, even as a married couple. Honey, when I die, will you miss me? Sure. But you know what? If you're in heaven, you ain't going to be missing me. You're not even going to be thinking about me. That's just, it's just a, the truth of the matter. It's not going to matter at that point. I mean, you're going to be ushered into the presence of God. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. To depart with Christ is far better. But he says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, I got a lot to, to teach these people. That's what Paul was saying. In verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He's saying, you know what, the only reason I'm staying here on earth is because of you. That's what he's saying. The Lord has a purpose. None of us are indispensable. None of us. Sometimes we think, oh, what if so-and-so, you know, you hear it all the time down, you go down to the shepherd's conference and the elders get this question all the time. What's, what's your plan when John MacArthur finally dies? We really don't have one. We're not really focused on that. It's, it's God's church. It's Christ's church. It's not ours. I'm sure he'll raise somebody else to teach. It's be perfectly capable of doing that. It's not about one man. And yet that's how we think so many times. We're all indispensable, and God will take us home when he wants to. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow, listen to this one, to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. In other words, his time frame is not yours. But is patient, he says, toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I used to read that verse and go, man, that doesn't line up with my theology. There's something wrong with that that verse. I mean, how can God desire, how can he wish that none perish and all reach repentance when we know some aren't? Isn't God powerful enough to, to carry out his own desire? Is that what he's saying? Does that mean that God wills something he can't accomplish? Because we know there's going to be unbelievers. And then when you stop and you go back in the original language and you look at it again and you realize, well, wait a minute, who's he talking to? But God is patient toward you. Toward you. Believers. Not wishing that any of us, is how it reads, should perish. He's talking about believers. And you know what? That changes the whole perspective of that verse. When you, when you read that, I read that verse now, I'm like, thank God you waited. <laughs> you know, till I was 19, when someone shared the gospel to me, I'm thankful you didn't come back before. And I know theologically that wouldn't happen. But it should be cause for thanksgiving in our heart to realize that God is waiting for us and God is waiting for others to be saved. And if you want them to come back, then we need to be busy doing what he has instructed us to do. To go to what? Into all the world. To preach the gospel. Make disciples. And see many ushered into his kingdom with us. The other two places is mentioned, by the way, is Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And also over in Hebrews 10.38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. Okay, so that's just a beginning of chapter 2, and we'll, we'll continue this uh, study next next week. But don't ever forget that God has a purpose. He has a plan for you. Don't ever give up on that. As long as you're breathing. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, whatever. God has something for you to do. And we just need to be busy doing His will until He comes back. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You have spoken through the prophet Habakkuk to our hearts. and pray that it would be encouragement to us that, Lord, sometimes there are delays in what we assess to be Your will. And yet, Father even though sometimes we're praying for something diligently and it just doesn't seem the ball's not moving, nothing's happening. Lord, you have a purpose, you have a plan. And Lord, I pray that we would be diligent to rest in you, not to take matters into our own hands. And Father, I just uh, am thankful that you care and um, provide care for us as your children each and every day, that you are uh, intimately acquainted with all of us who know you. And Father, we, we uh, realize that uh, sometimes that we take that for granted. And so Lord, we just pray that our own hearts would be concerned with the state of our own country, our own society, and all the chaos we see around us, Lord, that that would not motivate us to go and hide in our house, but Lord, that that would motivate us to go out and shout from the rooftops that there's one Savior, his name is Christ, and that you need to put your faith, your trust, and faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And as you turn from your sin to the Savior, he will save you and he will secure your salvation for all eternity. Father, I pray we'll be diligent to share that message with those at work, at school, wherever we go, that it would be hard pressed upon our heart. And Father, we thank you. Just pray you give us a good week. I pray for um, Gabby and Crystal as they fly back tomorrow night that you give them a safe trip home and pray that they have a sweet reunion with uh, uh, will and, and Mason and Sophia and uh, their dog. And Lord, just pray that you would uh, just bless their time together as well. And Lord, we do pray for our country. We we pray for our president and vice president. We pray that you would give him wisdom and and um, allow them to um, just do your will. Lord, you raise these men up for a purpose and a plan. And Father, we pray that Uh, your will would be done in all these things and lord we uh, pray for our local authorities as well that you'll give them wisdom pray for our governor pray for his salvation pray for a local mayor and local police and fire and pray you continue to protect them as they're out there and all the health care workers as well and father we thank you for your your care and, and grace in our lives and we just pray you'd give us a good evening we thank you and bless you in jesus name amen